0: Great. Thanks very much, Harry. Let's pray as we read that together and look at it now. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the Holy Spirit whom he sent. And we pray that by that spirit, he will not only be present among us, but will speak and be our teacher and give us hearts to listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've stood there at the bedside more than once with parents of a very sick child and heard them ask, where is God now? Or just imagine being a follower of Christ in a country who just prayed about some of these countries, perhaps in the Middle East, where to follow Christ means to be rejected by your own family, perhaps even to lose your life. Where is God when... You're suffering such danger simply for following Christ. Where is Jesus for any of us when life is tough? That's really the question that we're looking at tonight and that Jesus is answering in that little reading we just had read. So do keep that open. It'll be really helpful as we walk through this extraordinary little passage together. Because Jesus here is comforting his disciples Uh, He said at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 14, we saw this last week, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. He's comforting them before he leaves them and says goodbye to them. Uh, As he said to them just now, I will be departing from you. They're asking the obvious question, well, well, where are you going? And what's the way? That was the the question that he answered back in verse 6. I am the way and the truth And the life, no one comes to God, to the Father, but through me. I'm going to the Father, and I am the way that you'll find to get there yourself. And Philip says, well, that's great, fantastic you're going to the Father, show us the way. We want to see the Father, and Jesus says, well, to see me is to see the Father. If you follow me, if you come with me, if you look at me, you'll go all the way and you'll see the Father in me as well. You can't separate us in the glory of what we call the Christian Trinity, Father and Son are one. And to see the Son is to see the Father. But that still leaves the question, doesn't it? If Jesus is going away, and if he promised at the beginning of this chapter that he would one day come back and take us to be with him in heaven, but if in the meantime he is going away, through his death and his resurrection, and then going back to heaven... Until he comes again to take us to be with him, well, where is he, and how is that any use to us? So, as we've already touched on, there are two questions behind tonight's passage, both raised by the previous section, verses 1 to 14. Where is Jesus going to? We've seen that he said, I'm I'm going back to the Father in heaven. And how does his departure back to the Father in heaven help us today? Because it feels like he just left us on our own. How do I live as a Christian? How do I follow Christ? How do I know him? How do I get Jesus' help in that gap between his death and resurrection and return to heaven and the day he returns in glory and takes us to be with him in what we call heaven, new creation? Those are the two questions. And he's going to answer those ...in tonight's reading, verses 15 to 24. How can Jesus be physically absent and yet still be present to us... ...and helpful, in the strongest sense, helpful to us? How can I experience the presence of God, Jesus, today? Well, these verses, 15 to 24, describe a wonderful way... ...that the Father and the Son have made it possible... For you or me to know their intimate presence and their comforting help today. Even though physically we don't have Jesus among us as they did in their upper room back then. And in a sentence, here's the answer, here's what this sermon is about. The means by which you or I continually know the Son's presence and help is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what this passage is about. We know Jesus' presence and help by the Holy Spirit he has given us. Now, he's going to lay out in this little, very short section, four connected ways that the Spirit helps us to know the presence of Christ, to have his help. There's really three, as it were, comforts and then one challenge. But they're all four ways that the Spirit helps us. So without further ado, and we're going to go through them fairly quickly, here's the first one. The Spirit that Jesus gives us, speaks Christ to me. Have a look at verses 16 and 17 again. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He goes on in verse 17, you know him because he lives with you, literally is what it says there, and he will be in you. He lives with you, He's with you now, and He will be in you then. We'll come back to what then means. So Jesus is saying, I will die, I'll be betrayed and, and crucified, I'll then rise again, and you'll see me, but then I will go away again to heaven, what we call the ascension, the exaltation of Jesus to glory, but from there I will send the Spirit. God's Spirit sent upon the church at Pentecost so that all that believe in me will know him and will know my words through him. The Spirit speaks Christ to me. See what he calls the Spirit here in verse 16? Another counselor. Another tells us that the Holy Spirit is distinct from Jesus the Son, God the Son. The counsellor, another counsellor, is not the same as Jesus the Son, but he has, as it were, the same role towards us, what's called counsellor, another counsellor, not a completely new role, but another one like Jesus has been to them. Now, a difficult word, this word counsellor, paraclete in the original, um, they struggle to translate this. So our version that we've got here, the old NIV it is, counsellor. Today, we think of counsellor as someone that that listens to us and helps us to to unearth our deepest feelings and so on. That's not what this word meant then. Um, The old English version is translated as comforter, another comforter. Uh, But again, nowadays we think of a comforter as someone that puts their arm around us when we're feeling low. Of course, the Spirit does do that. But, but when the translators came out with that word back 500 years ago, company meant someone that, that strengthens you, that helps you. The new NIV translate, translates this, therefore, as um, another advocate to help you. So someone that kind of stands beside you on your side, like a lawyer in court but to help you or strengthen you. So it's a difficult word. Um, But I think there's a clue in the other phrase Jesus uses to describe the Spirit here. Do you see in verse 17, the Holy Spirit of truth. I think that tells us pretty plainly that the role that Jesus is thinking of here for the Holy Spirit is to be our teacher, the Spirit of truth, the one who will speak Christ's words to me just as... Had I been there, I could have heard Christ speak them to me as the disciples did. Another, if you like, teacher, another helper to bring Jesus' words to me. He's going to preach, he's going to teach Jesus to the disciples and through them, because he's alive today to us all. Back in Isaiah chapter 40, the Isaiah the prophet has some famous words, comfort, comfort my people, God says through him. How does that comfort come in Isaiah 40? Well, he goes straight on and said, not God will put an arm around you, though he's deeply compassionate. He goes on and says, a message, prepare the way for the Lord, a Savior's coming. That's the comfort, that's the help that God's sending. The Spirit shows me Christ, speaks Christ's words to me, continues the work of Jesus the Word by bringing his words to us too. There was an early Christian writer called Tertullian who called the Holy Spirit the vicar of Christ. Now, why the vicar of Christ? Uh, Well, because in the olden days, when a a rector who had had the kind of living of a parish went on a tour off to Italy for three months, as they did in those days, they would leave a, a more junior clergy person in charge to do their ministry to teach and preach whilst they weren't there. And that person was called a vicar, someone that vicariously does the work of the rector. Uh, in football, we have the idea of, you know, like I remember Oli Goner uh, Solskjaer when, before he became a manager, he was a kind of a super sub, wasn't he, for Man United? A super sub. He came on and immediately scored goals. The Holy Spirit reverently, this is po- probably close to heresy, but he is the super sub. For God the Son, another helper, another teacher. The Spirit that Jesus sends when He has gone, He says, will remain with the disciples, with us forever, to bring the Word of Jesus to us as Jesus did. So I can ask you have you received the Spirit of Christ? Because if Christian faith is a mystery to you, it's not because Christian faith is crazy though it's pretty challenging, it's not because God's hiding himself from you. It may be because you haven't yet allowed the Spirit of Christ to begin to teach you, to open your eyes to Jesus because the Spirit speaks Christ to me. Secondly, the Spirit brings Christ near me. Have a look at now verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Won't you as orphans? Or it could equally be here, it's a lovely picture, isn't it, that, that they're being left like orphaned children. He's going to come as a parent. It could equally be, though, he, like a rabbi leaving their disciples, the same word was used, apparently. Disciples without a rabbi are, are orphans. So he's going to come back and he's going to pick up the reins of teaching and guiding them again through the Spirit. The Spirit brings Christ. Near me. There's actually, I put them on the screen there, in John's Gospel, at least three ways that Christ comes in John's Gospel. He comes at Christmas as Saviour. The Word became flesh. So I think you know, we, we, if you've been in church for a service, you'll know that idea, that Christ, the Son of God, came among us at Christmas. The third one, at the bottom there, he's talked about this in chapter 14, verse 3, he said, I will go and prepare a place for you, meaning heaven. And I will come, there's the coming, what we call the second coming of Christ. I'll return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you may be also. That's the promise of eternal life in glory with Christ. Christ the host or the bridegroom. So he comes as Saviour at Christmas, he comes as host or bridegroom at what we call the second coming, there's actually another coming between those in John's Gospel, which I think is what he's talking about in verse 18 of our reading. He's coming to us as the risen Lord, and now for us, the exalted Lord from heaven, coming to us not physically, but through Pentecost in the spirit of Christ. The spirit brings Christ near me, almost as if he is Christ coming to me. Does it make sense? You with me there? So there's a a middle coming, isn't there? There's a first coming, a second, but there's also this middle, non-visible, spiritual coming of Christ through his Holy Spirit. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, because it means that to encounter the Spirit of God, whom he gives to all who put their faith in Christ, if you're a Christian Christian. You have received the Spirit of Christ. You have. You haven't just, therefore, as it were, met the Holy Spirit. You've met Christ, because the Spirit brings Christ near to you and me. I will come to you, he says. I won't leave you as orphans, but by my Spirit, I will come and be with you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He says, because um, I live... You will live, verse 19. You will see me, because I live, you will live. He's saying, isn't he, that because he's now the risen Christ, because he's now in heaven in glory, if he comes near me through the Spirit, that means the very life of God, the risen life of Christ, is now available to me. Because I live, you will live. Rather like a, in a, a mother's womb, the umbilical cord connects that child to the life of the mother, doesn't it? So it's keeping it alive. The Holy Spirit connects me to the very life of the risen Christ. Because Jesus lives and the Spirit brings Christ near to me, I live. Spiritually, I live. That is, again, amazing news, isn't it? Because it means that there's no temptation. There's no failure I can uh, come up with. There's no weakness I can show no trial I can go through, whenever life is tough, when I will not still have available to me God's forgiveness, God's peace, God's strength, God's life, because in Christ I now live by his Spirit that's brought him near. And the life of Christ is indestructible. I'm weak, but he is strong. The Spirit brings Christ near me. Thirdly, the Spirit unites Christ... With me, We're just stretching the same idea here, or Christ is stretching the same idea a little further again, if you're still with me. Have a look at verse 20. Jesus then says, On that day, he seems to mean here the day that the disciples will see him again, the day of Pentecost and the period that we're now in until he returns again, in the day of the Spirit coming to me, you will realize that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, says Christ, and I am in you. You are in me, and I am in you. Complicated language, isn't it? How can one be in the other, and the other in the first? He's talking about how we're united to Christ through the Spirit when we, as we would put it, become a Christian. You receive the Spirit, and he doesn't just bring Christ near to me. He unites Christ with me. Christ in my heart, me in Christ, in the heart of God, forever. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? That unity that the Father and Son have shared, yes, uniquely, because they are the one being of God, Father and Son and Spirit, but that's now, as it were, been turned outwards towards us, as if to say, we want you to experience a little of that unity as well, to become one with the Son and with the Father through the Spirit who now lives, not just with you, but in you. He says you don't really get this now, but one day you will. You'll see that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. That the oneness of the Father and the Son has now been shared openly with you. And that's the miracle of this coming of the Spirit that Jesus promises. He's not just near me, he's in me. I'm not just forgiven, I'm a member of God's family. I'm not just a believer in Christ, but I'm now part of his body, one with him. He in me and me in him. The great Bishop Ryle said, of this extraordinary gift of Christ himself to me, he said, there's more of heaven on earth to be obtained Than most believers are aware of. We're not just waiting to know Christ in heaven. By faith, by the Spirit, he's in me now. See, the Christian life is not, is it, about rules? Certainly to begin with, it's not about self-righteousness. It's not even just about redemption and resurrection. It's about meeting the risen Christ, knowing Christ in my heart by faith, being united to him, one with him, receiving not just all of his blessings of forgiveness and peace and hope, which are incredible, but actually knowing him. The Spirit brings me not just his blessings, but he brings me Christ himself. Someone said, when you become a Christian, you don't turn over a new leaf, you begin a new life because you now know Christ. So I hope that you are grateful every day for that joy of being united with Christ by the Spirit. What a privilege this is, that you and I can spend our time learning and studying the promises that this means for us, not just that I'm forgiven, but I'm now delighted To have Christ in my heart. To be, as it were, a home in which he is a guest. And to be myself in him and in the Father through faith. As we share in the communion this evening, we're not simply remembering that he died for us, though we are doing that. The blood that was shed, the body that was broken. But spiritually, we are in spirit taking Christ into ourselves afresh. Feeding on him, the language of the words that we'll use. Feeding on Christ by faith. Tasting him in the, in the bread and in the wine. So as we share this, this evening, do ask his spirit to help you. To know the joy of his presence in you every day this week. To know, as we all need to be reminded, that without him in me, I am dead. I'm lifeless without God. But with him, I'm alive in Christ. I experience all his blessings, all his delight. So three amazing comforts, aren't they, about the presence of the Spirit for us, whom Christ has promised us, that he speaks Christ to me, he brings Christ near me, he even unites Christ with me. Here's the fourth one, uh, as we finish with this one. And this is a challenge here, isn't it? The Spirit draws love for Christ from me. He begins to transform my heart into one of love and obedience. Uh, There are three places where Jesus uses a similar phrase, aren't there? Verse 15, they're on the screen there. 15, 21, 23. 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And then 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So it's a similar thing. In 23. As someone said, John never in his gospel allows love, this precious word love, to dissolve simply into emotion. It's always got this hard edge of obedience attached to it. Love's expression is always, you might say, moral, and its presence is always Visible. You can see love. As Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He says, everyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 23, my father will love them, him or her, and we will come to him and make our home, or our dwelling, with him. See the sense here? It's in no sense saying, if you love me enough and obey me enough, then we'll start loving you. John is always telling us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son first. This is talking about how, as we receive the father's and the son's love for us, and all he's done for us, and we respond with love, we'll then experience more and more of his indwelling as we obey him. If I love Jesus... I will begin to obey his commands. Not perfectly, because none of us are perfect, we sin. Not legalistically, because I don't obey the commands in order to earn his love or earn a place in heaven, but gratefully. Again, as Bishop Ra said, faith in the blood of Christ will be accompanied by obedience to the commands of Christ. Isn't that a great little phrase? Faith in the blood of Christ will be accompanied by by obedience to the commands of Christ. I think it's a good summary of what Jesus is saying here. So any talk of being a Christian, any even religious habits, good as they can be, any feelings I have, all those amount to nothing if my love for Christ is not expressing itself in obedience. Now, a couple of thoughts as we finish on this. One is this, that the world around us, the people around us, the people that you study with tomorrow at uni, the people that you work with tomorrow, the people down your street that you pray for, we should not be surprised if they seem unreceptive to the Christian message, at least sometimes. We should not be surprised. Christ says it, doesn't he, that that it's as we respond to his love that he shows himself to us. He will show himself to us. He's not hiding. But it's all God's grace, all God's initiative. I cannot convert a single person. You could could probably teach someone English, you could teach someone to ride a bike, but you and I, we have no power to convert. Only Christ, through his Spirit, show Christ to people. And that just means, secondly... Let's be prayerful. We're praying for five, many of us here, aren't we? are praying for five people to have their eyes opened to see who Christ is by the Spirit's power. Let's be humble about that because I wasn't always a Christian. I was a long way from God. He opened my eyes because someone was praying for me. Someone told me about Jesus. He loves to show himself, so let's keep praying. Finish with that. Single, powerful word in verse 23, the one word, anyone. Anyone, says Jesus, who loves me. It's one of the favorite words of John, actually, in his gospel. John loves reminding us that anyone who believes in Jesus is saved. Anyone who comes to him will find life. Anyone. Anyone. It's a great word. It reminds me that Jesus came, his offer of life is not only to the religious, it's not only to the righteous, it's not only to the successful, the sorted, it's to anyone. And there's going to be someone here this evening, and and that's you. You thought it was for other people, this offer, this invitation, but it's for you, anyone who loves me. The Father and I will come and make our home with you. So I can ask you as I finish, if that's you, what stops you coming to Christ? It's for anyone. What stops you asking him to show himself to you? To give you his gift of faith and life? To give you his spirit to teach you? To join you with him forever? And to move your heart more and more to love him and keep his commands. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are risen and exalted in glory and that you have poured out your spirit, that we might hear your words still, that we might experience you near to us and even in us, by that same Spirit. We pray that you'll move all of our hearts to love you because you first loved us, to keep your commands so that the world may see that you are our Lord and Savior, now and forever. Amen.